I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep, the podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode, where we watch the classic Martin Scorsese-directed Raging Bull, starring Robert De Niro. This is a new one for Mitchell and a great revisit for me, and join us for a conversation already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. Uh, so I saw Shang-Chi today. This is how I'm going to connect it. Because, as we know, uh, Marvel is not cinema, as Martin Scorsese says. Oh, it thank is, God. You found a way. It is amusement. You're like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll t- I will share my thoughts about Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi at the end when we do what else we're watching. Um, but it, it, the last two movies I've watched have been a Scorsese film and a Marvel film. And I got to tell you, one belongs in the category <laughs> of cinema and the other doesn't okay, really. <laughs> let's catch people up. I mean, I'm sure people have heard of this, but... Like, give us some background for this kind of this, famous. Oh man, this was conversation. This was it was 2019. Um, yeah, it was 2019 because Scorsese was doing the media stuff for The Irishman. And, Marty, uh, <laughs> I call him Marty, by the way. Uh, yeah, uh, and because we're boys. Yeah, of course. Oh gosh, love to hang out with Marty. Uh, he was doing the, the media stuff for The Irishman that year, and then End, Avengers Endgame had come out, so it was a big Marvel year, and he was kind of asked about what he thought about it, and he basically said, I don't consider that to be cinema. I think it's an amusement park, basically. And, hmm. and I mean, it's, that's a, it's a pretty direct statement, but it's I don't... a loaded statement. But I don't think he really meant a lot of nastiness or harm behind it. Mm-hmm. But that got picked up by every, you know, everybody that covers movies. Uh, and they want to talk about how Scorsese is totally condescending and derisive towards Marvel movies. And he doesn't think they're real filmmaking or whatever. And It's funny to me that it blew up, though, because I guess I picture if you are a Marvel, like, super fan, uh-huh. this, is, this is the type of stuff that you love to consume. Like, what do you care about? Yeah, Martin Scorsese's thoughts. So you probably aren't a big consumer of his movies, or even like what he would define as cinema. Which, again, like that kind of, that kind of is the cornerstone of what, what's being said here. It's like, wh- what does that mean? Yeah, what does that even mean? What is cinema? Yeah, and I'm like, like if I was a huge fan of this world, I'm like, who cares? Mm-hmm. I guess would be my reaction. It it, it kind of reminds me. We talked about this when we did No Sudden Move because Soderbergh in some interviews for that movie was asked, you know, what's the difference between a film and a movie? And, mm, right. and he, he's like, Ocean's Eleven is a movie. Uh, I, I know the difference. And and that's something you just feel, right? Right. Um, and, and I think that's what that's what Scorsese is kind of getting at. I mean, he, he does it in a slightly more condescending way. Um, right. There, you know, there's a version of it where you just say Marvel makes movies and Marty makes films. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Or one is art and one is just entertainment. Yeah. And and there's overlap and Yeah, yeah. you know. Um but and I think on both ends cuz there's definitely plenty of entertainment that is very artful 
And there's a lot of art that's not that entertaining. <laughs> right, exactly. There is overlap. Like, they're and, not mutually exclusive things. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, and it's, it is interesting, also, the direction that Marvel has taken over the last few years. I mean, I think even going back to, like, Black Panther, which was directed by Ryan Coogler, who at that point had just done Fruitvale Station and... Uh, Creed and and Creed's a franchise thing but I mean there was definitely that that was an auteur kind of vision Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of boxing movies um, so Marvel has has figured out a way to get these kind of independent uh, you know filmmakers with a little bit more vision with a little bit more specific style right because we're getting Nomadland yeah, we're getting the uh, the the next. We're getting two more Marvel movies between now and the end of the year. We're getting Eternals next month, directed by Chloe Zhao, and Chloe Zhao's directed just a small handful of movies and it's won funny. an Oscar this year for Nomadland. Other than her directing that movie, I couldn't tell you one sentence about <laughs> anything to do with that movie. I saw a trailer for it today, and at first I didn't realize it was a trailer for the Eternals because it was like some. I couldn't f- even say if there are superheroes in it. Uh, That's how little I know. It's it's like like pretty bottom tier in terms of uh, uh, comic book characters that most people know about. Um, comic book fans love the Eternals, but in the trailer, the trailer opens like in this farmhouse in the middle of, no- of nowhere, and Salma Hayek is standing there talking to somebody on the porch. And I'm like, oh, Salma Hayek's in a movie, and then she starts talking about Thanos. <laughs> She's like, she's like, damn that guy, you know, with his gloves and his snapping. And then two minutes later, there's Angelina Jolie, and I, I'm like, they're, they're just putting, they're going on to IMDb and saying, okay, who's alive and hasn't been in one of these movies yet? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> they got the, um, the like red yarn yes, connections. Yes. Like, who wants a movie? Uh, but. Chloe Zhao is directing, and the big kind of Eternals, you know, pull quote from earlier this year, I think right around the time Nomadland was coming out, was Kevin Feige, who's the the big creative, you know, producer, mastermind behind all the MCU stuff. He was so pleasantly surprised by Chloe Zhao's footage from Eternals, where she actually took a camera outside and filmed a real sunset. Right. He's like, oh, my God, what have you done? Dude, I posted a... a tweet once it was just a picture of a sunset and it was like oh my god they turned instagram into a real thing it was like the instagram logo which is like that gradient that's dude that's where we're going i'll tell you what with these with this ai oh, and uh just bringing some boomer energy to the pod <laughs> yeah you and marty Scor- marty scorsese right uh I, that's why i stand marty that's why i, I stand marty so, so they're trying, but the challenge then becomes is how do you, how do you have someone, how do you bring in someone and let them have a clear artistic, aesthetic vision, but then it has to tick off these twelve boxes because this, and connect to twelve other movies. Exactly, exactly. Um, where that sounds exhausting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for for me, I mean, I understand why these these people do it because it's a big deal for their career. It opens doors since Black Panther, and and because Black Panther was insanely successful, Ryan Coogler has been really given a ton of freedom to work on the projects he wants to work on. But also, he's been doing a lot of producing on his own, championing one, other one projects. for them, one for me. 
Yeah, I mean, he was a really big, um, a, a big championing force behind Judas and the Black Messiah this year, and so. But but that comes because he has this reputation because he did a big Marvel movie, right? And right. you know, so I'm glad the things exist because he, he, because we're getting this other stuff because we're getting we're we're, we're these directors are uh, being given the opportunity to make st- the stuff they want to make and. And I will say this: this uh, this is going to totally connect. Um, I, and I have been—I've said this for a few years now. These movies are valuable because they have these massive budgets, and they can spend all this money developing the newest, most cutting-edge CG technology um, stuff that stuff that only is going to be moved forward technologically because these movies have the money to put in to put the time it. and resources and try to to uh perfect it you know this is what star wars was doing a few years ago when they did rogue one you know they have a character in that movie who was from the original film the actor was gosh in his 60s probably back in 1977 long since passed away so they do a full digital recreation of the actor oh, right right and and that's and I went to the movies with people who thought, I can't believe that guy's still alive. <laughs> right. Because they were fooled by it. And But Star Wars is the kind of movie where they have the money to to do that. And then you know who went and used that technology in his most recent movie? It was mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese in The Irishman using right. the de-aging technology on his actors. And having, and having to himself go to Netflix because they were the only ones that would give him enough money to use the technology to get what he wanted for this movie. Right. Because like the Irishman was supposed to be, you know, a couple, it was shopped around to a bunch of studios before Netflix finally said, yeah, we'll give you the money you need for this. Right. And, and Marty is building off the backs of what star Wars and Marvel have been doing with CG technology. And, and then also building off of the, the business model that Netflix has created by just throwing money at whatever, Right. With no hope of like box office returns. Right. It's like kind of tweeting about capitalism from your iPhone. Exactly. Yes. And But yeah, it's not quite that, obviously, because there is something to be said of the type of movie that's being made, but he's definitely benefiting from the system. He's totally benefiting from the system. At the same time, I understand his point completely and I agree with him. Yeah. And I don't think it needs to be a condescending thing to say that Marvel isn't really cinema. Right. It's funny. I'm, that David Lynch book, he's talking about budgets for movies nowadays. Mm-hmm. And he's just so mad. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, I can't use the language he's using, but he's like, you know, hearing $150 million for some, you know. Yeah. Whatever. And he's like, it's just, it just bleeped this dual bleep voice. He's just like, it's just crazy man. <laughs> he's like, we made this for $4 million. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Oh, and it looks better than like, you know, yeah. but like, but the reason I even say that is because, and I know like, obviously what's happening in the Irishman is, a, is, it's much harder to make someone look young who's old. Yeah. Um, so I get that. But Raging Pole does some time jumps and I'm like the makeup, this looks so much better than the Irishman because the Irishman kind of has the uncanny valley thing going on. Yeah. Which obviously you can't reverse age Robert De Niro and that's, you know, what he's. Yeah. The interesting thing he's trying to go for, but I, I would uh, say if the Irishman was in black and white, it would probably help it a lot. I know, <laughs> but, I know that's probably that's probably part of it. But 
he, I did appreciate the consistency of Marty of like Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. We're going to age Robert De Niro back and forth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about Raging Bull. Uh, Mitchell, have you ever seen this before? I had never seen it. I I think I merged much like There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Mm. I merged Rocky and Raging Bull in my mind. Yes. So I saw Rocky. I've seen Rocky, but yeah. Raging Bull escaped me. And I was just kind of doing some video essay research on Marty. And mm. uh, they just showed some footage from the opening where he's kind of just slow-mo shadow boxing. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I have to watch that. Yeah. Dude, I, I have such a... Um, it's funny. The two people I work with, um, I got two friends. Shout out Josh and Brettley. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do like some creative agency work on the side of our day jobs. And uh, apparently I have a very distinct like editing style. And they're like, oh, just give it the old McCleary. And it's always just like really <laughs> grainy, really intense shadow, black and white. And so I saw that footage. I'm like, that, I got to gotta see this. How could I not? <laughs> and yes, I, I admit, I am aware that black and white grainy. I have no ownership over. It's sure, but it was just the, you, the you were primed. You were primed for this. Movie. Yeah, that's I'm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, and and that that opening shot is what you describe of him. I, I mean, it's it's kind of this eerie, otherworldly shot at the beginning of the yeah. film. Like the lighting is very different than I've ever seen a boxing mm-hmm. ring lit. There's like fog. Yeah, there's fog and in like the there's a airiness to mm-hmm. the space outside the ring. Yeah. And on that opening shot, because most boxing, you know, all the light is on mm-hmm. the ring so that the crowd is blacked out. Yeah, this that really high contrast with the black blackness out everything outside of the ring. Yeah, usually, but in this yeah. shot they're they're there's like an airiness to the outside of the ring. Yeah. That's not the true later, but the opening is so beautiful with that like classical music going. Yep. And so I saw that and I was like, man, I have some holes in my um, Scorsese watch lists that yeah. I need to start feeling. So I was like, I need to start with Raging Bull. I knew I was going to like it based off that footage. Yeah. I had not seen Raging Bull. I, I watched it when I was in college. So probably 12, 13 years ago, uh, probably pretty early on. And I, my impression was oh i love this movie a lot and this is really good and this is both this is both a a movie that is heralded as a classic of its time and one that i actually really enjoyed and is really entertaining and it's really entertaining but again i hadn't seen it in probably 12 years so i was kind of curious how i was going to react going into it again this week and it had pretty much the exact same effect on me you're like this is great <laughs> it is just great from start to finish I know it, the the pace is really good. Yeah, say, talk about that. Well, I because it was it was also similarly reminding me of some of the because I I know it's heralded as a one of his more art house styled sure. movies. Um, so yeah, it was reminding me of uh, like you know four hundred blows or mm. uh, breathless or you know whatever. Um, but and, it's way and, and, and you're. You're talking about these French New Wave, French New in Wave, particular like, with the aesthetic, the black and white. Yeah, yeah, the aesthetic, the like camera, like style yes. of shooting. Yeah, um, and kind of the pace, but this one was was a lot more entertaining. Like it was a lot, like it just kept pushing. Like, like the thing I noticed 
as really effective for me as I'm watching this. He's got such a uh, good contrast of of movement, mm. and what what I mean by that is in terms of narrative structure. Yeah, like if I can compare it to music, um, like okay, one of my favorite bands is Elbow. And mm-hmm. they won some award for their use of sound dynamics hmm. on an album, yeah. which means like quiet moments are supposed to be quiet, loud yeah. moments are supposed to be really loud, and especially with services like Spotify that tend to compress yeah. audio, there's a flatness to music nowadays where everything is heard on this like medium ground level. Yeah. But you're listening to Elbow, you're like, is it not loud enough? Then like the horns come in, you're like, yeah. too loud. Yeah. You know? But there's a dy- dynamic listening experience there yes. that's more interesting. And so that's what I felt with Raging Bull, where it'd go from scenes of, like, it would cut from, like, him hugging his wife, and it's, like, quiet, and it's just still, to, like, the match is halfway over. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. jump cut to him being pummeled or whatever. Yeah. And there's no, uh, you know, like, we got to hold your hand to, like, build up the anticipation for these matches. or It's, like... Uh, Really quiet moments and really intense moments are like blasted right next to each other, yeah. which gives you like, oh, we're going, we're going. You know, yeah. like right when I was about to get sleepy on a certain scene, mm. he hurls me into the ring. You know? Yeah. So that that was like for pace. I was like, okay, this feels really good. Yeah. Easy to easy to like want to keep watching. I I was shocked by just the sheer number of fights that are in this movie. <laughs> I know. I, I, I like. Most boxing movies are always like two or three fights. You know? Yeah, and, and it's kind of structured in that three act. Like, I mean, okay. it's not a boxing movie, as uh, Letterbox Bros would say. <laughs> Listen, it's not. This isn't a movie about boxing, guys. Well, and the irony is, it's it's not a boxing movie. You say that, but it has more boxing in it than you know. Like, I think of like Creed, and Creed's definitely a boxing movie. Right, um, right. And and the way, but the way he uses it is so creative, and where each match, and he does a good job where he has. I think like really like six big ones in there and they each feel like distinct in my mind, both visually and, 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 and camera work and all of that, but also as Just visceral, like, yeah. you feel like you're oh, getting hit. Oh my gosh. But also uh, different in terms of the way he's using them in the narrative as different devices for telling right. Jake LaMotta's story. Right. And, and the thing is like also the, the boxing matches now there's definitely a, a trajectory right we get the the three fights with sugar ray robinson we get his kind of moving towards the championship we get the match that he's supposed to throw so all of those are connected to the narrative but there are some fights that the pretty boy yeah but there's pummeling. Some, oh yeah 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 yeah. The, which is very fight club yes yeah. um but it's not as though it's it's not as though the entire narrative is about him winning or losing a fight, right? The, the narrative Which is I about very much appreciated. Yeah, like it like it really doesn't matter each fight. Like I, like the stakes that I'm feeling, which a normal boxing movie is like, is he gonna win or lose? And like that's fine, but if anything, it's almost anxiety like anxiety inducing. Yeah, versus this movie, which oh I don't care, and that's great because like. I'm just, I care about him, yeah. not the result of this match. Yes. You know? Yes. I'm still thinking about that fight he just had with his wife. Right. And now he's in the ring fighting a guy, and who cares what happens here? Right. Yeah, like how that previous, like, what's actually going on in his life is informing these fights. Yes. And, and 
this is what Scorsese does so well in that he designs the visual look of these fights to be some sort of reflection of Jake's you know, personal life, his home mm. life. He, I, I, in kind of my research, um, Scorsese talks about how all of the all of the rings that they use are different sizes depending on where in the movie um, mm. the fight is, and so like where, some are more claustrophobic. Yes. Or... So when when Jake's life is more stressed, when there is just this just incredible, the, the, when his paranoia is off the charts about his wife mm. sleeping with other men, when his relationship with his brother is ruined, the rings get smaller and smaller. And the fight, even the 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 filmmaking, it's especially uh, the the heavyweight championship fl- uh, against the French guy. Like there mm-hmm. are these shots of where the camera is underneath them, at looking up, and you see him punching. It's I mean it's so tight in there. Right. And then you know at the beginning of the movie where you know his life is a little bit more stable or whatever, uh, the ring is huge, expansive. Jake has all this mo- room to move around. Right. And. Scorsese is trying Even though to. No, he doesn't much. He, and, That's yes. not his style. But. No, uh, but but visually but we you see we it. feel it as viewers. Yes, because there's there's breathing room like for your eyes even. There's the I think it's the third Sugar Ray uh, fight kind of towards the beginning of the movie. Right, he 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 loses one, he wins the second one, and then they have the third uh, fight, and it is so intense. At, to the point, and I noticed this when I watched it, and I was kind of like, "What? What were they doing here?" You can see heat waves in the camera in the shots. Mm. Like mm. it's like a shot of the referee walking around the the ring, and you can literally see, you know, like when you look, uh, you know, at, over it's the hood of a car. Very disorienting. Yeah, the editing style in the, the, the fights, the music, the sound, yeah, sound design, like, yeah, the uh, not, uh, both the the score and the sound effects themselves. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, it's I, chaos. Oh, absolutely. I, and I read that Scorsese, literally he and the cinematographer built fires and put them underneath the cameras to create, <laughs> <laughs> to create heat waves so they could shoot them to make this right. match feel like, like Jake LaMotta was like in hell. Right. Which Scorsese that, was at the time. Uh, apparently oh, his he, own. Yeah. He had like a drug overdose. Yeah. Almost died, and then De Niro was like, "We need to make this movie." Yes. Okay. And this yeah. This was yeah, kind yeah. of his because his last movie before this one failed mis- miserably. So this was like a this like a New York, New York. Yeah. It was yeah, and so this was like a like comeback for him, and kind of a demon exercising experiment. Okay. Uh, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad you said this. I I I had known a little bit about Scorsese's previous drug use and it, it but i didn't know the context of this being kind of his artistic response with de niro to his yeah demons. like he uh from what i read because raging bull is based off a true story a true fighter yeah. um which ironically whose name is jake and part of what inspired this was that jake paul of youtube fame had oh, yeah. his boxing <laughs> match this past weekend <laughs> <laughs> See, there's lots of connections going okay. on, listeners. But um, so uh, Marty had had a drug overdose, was in the hospital, and and De Niro was interested in this story and specifically Jake Lamont's book. And yeah. he'd been trying to get Scorsese to make this movie for a while. And then he finally was like, we're, 
we we have to do this. This is it. And he throws yeah. it at him, and he rereads it in the hospital. And yeah, kind of wow. had a you know way different yeah. experience with it, and was like, you know, kind of a religious conversion yeah. to it to the story. I mean, does you know some religious themes going on in the movie too? But um, well, I, that's what I want to talk about. I know. I, I'm nervous. Our shot is we have the same favorite shot, but we'll see. Uh, I, I have about six favorite shots, maybe. But I know exactly what mine is. Um, it was great because when it happened on screen, I'm like, check. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, I, I I think it is interesting. I well, let's let's talk about. Okay, okay, okay. Real quick, real quick question. Going way back, way back. Yeah. So you saw this in college. Yeah. And I'm assuming. This... Go ahead. <laughs> just nope i refuse um you saw this in college i'm assuming as a just part of your education like how was this like i i don't know the context so much i feel like sometimes when i'm catching up on these like classic mm-hmm. movies i i i don't have this the... this is one i watched on my own okay so yeah, this so wasn't this was, part of a curriculum this wasn't a part or... of a curriculum or a syllabus this was um i was in college and i was doing the i'm gonna watch any and every movie I can find on cable and record and interesting and um so raging bull came up and i recognized the name martin scorsese but it, that was like a weird time because i probably the only scorsese movie i had seen at that point was uh the departed uh, i was gonna say so i'm curious about this film's reputation and kind of connecting it to the marvel stuff in my head scorsese Similar place as Tarantino, where a lot of his movies are are popcorn entertainment. Yeah, do you, I, I mean, do you, like do you when think I think Scorsese, when I think uh, Scorsese, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I think Goodfellas mm. and um, this Wolf really, Wall Street, this really kinetic filmmaking that is, yeah, that isn't like terribly difficult or uh, uh, difficult like to engage with. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah like the filmmaking like, itself. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Like. Like most people can watch it and be entertained by it, yes. Which you know, a lot of um, quote unquote art house cinema yeah. might be more alienating to people who yeah. aren't, aren't looking for that. And so, like, I, I'm curious about this film's reputation in his, you know, repertoire. Yeah. If it's more like, no, this is kind of his. I don't know. Yeah. So more, I, more art housey. So the, when I saw this, this is probably, I, I take it back. This is probably the third Scorsese movie I had seen because I had definitely seen The Departed uh, when it won Best Picture. And you could and, also say if I'm wrong in my assumptions about his, how people look no, at his I mean, I, I, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is one of probably his highest grossing movie ever. And it's like, uh, based on a purely entertainment point of view, it's probably his, probably his Wolf of Wall Street, right? Right. Yeah. Um, like most successful yeah, most successful in terms of box office. Yeah, for yeah. Wolf of Wall Street, but also Goodfellas is just straight up. Like that has a huge, huge like cult following. Yeah, I, like I, I know, mean, I I know it was successful, but I guess whenever I hear like old guys talk about Goodfellas, like they yeah. just love Goodfellas. Yeah. I've never even seen it. Um, so so I had seen I had seen The Departed when it won Best Picture, and I I was like I like this a lot. But that was my reaction. But like, I, I like it. But the way people talked at the, 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 because this was 2007, 2006 when it came out, the 2007 Oscars, um, the departed one, and the way people talked about Scorsese was like, this is 
the best living filmmaker we have. And I'm like, I mean, I like The Departed a lot. I'm like, jeez. But, <laughs> but I don't know about that. What, you know, what do I know? And and then I probably shortly after that went back and watched Taxi Driver. Um, right. So, so reached that, all the way back. Taxi Driver a little bit. <laughs> Reaching all the way back. And I don't like it. Talk, t- talking hilarious. about kind of art house and challenging and alienating it's uh, taxi driver is about <laughs> about as good as it gets when it comes to that kind of stuff right i think i liked raging bull more oh i i totally agree okay uh yeah, yeah I, we're on the same page i i think for me raging bull is is the it's kind of this really pure version of marty right mm. Yeah. It's it's before yeah. he develops a lot of his trademark filmmaking tics that you mm-hmm. that really emerge in Goodfellas and then get exploited in you Wolf know Wall Street. At Wolf of Wall Street in The Departed um, yeah. in the Irish Silence and people are like what's that movie because <laughs> no one saw but but. So, so it's kind of before he develops a lot of those tricks, but I also still see a lot of, I can look at this and I can see, okay, this is a Scorsese movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's, it's insert shots. It's, it's an early one in the movie where he is like leaving later, later in the evening Mm -hmm. from his, from his apartment, his wife's yelling at him and he's going to like this Catholic dance. Right. Right. It's just like the audio keeps going and it's an insert shot of like this old church flyer that is an invitation. That is like such a Marty thing where, you know, you just have the insert shot, you keep the audio going from the other and it goes straight into where they are and like there's not a character that's holding a flyer that's what that's what a maybe a more traditional movie would be a character's mm-hmm. holding the flyer and then the camera is the camera is looking at them holding it and you can see what's written on the flyer marty just insert shot here it is right um and if you're smart you'll figure it out yeah and and that is a lot of you know it's the it's the montage of going back and forth between the home videos in color and the 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 fights, but it's not even footage of the fights. It's still still photographs of the fights. It's funny. I didn't notice that it was in color until I was looking at shots of the movie afterwards. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, cool. I, <laughs> I know. I didn't notice. <laughs> and you know, like those are those are really interesting filmmaking decisions, and that they feel very kind of. You know, those are Martin Scorsese decisions, but at the same time, it's not uh, it, like the soundtrack. There's not a bunch of Rolling Stones songs on this soundtrack. Right, right. <laughs> I, that's Gimme Shelter does not show up on the Raging Bull soundtrack in the way that it shows up in three or four of his other movies. Yeah. Um, and I so, love the music in this movie. I and I love the score of this movie. And so there's what I love about Raging Bull is it feels like this simple distilled, you know. I, I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like a little bit more straightforward filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit less. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Taxi Driver in years, but a little bit less like floating, meandering, like towards an effect. But mm-hmm. this one is just like, we're making a movie and we're going. Yes. Like left hook, left hook. Yes. You know. And like very clear narrative through line. Uh, it, it feels like 
you know, kind of a, a more traditional narrative, but then there's enough in it that's him being creative, being a great filmmaker yeah. that elevates it. And it and, just looks so good. And it I looks beautiful. I think it's one of his better looking movies from the ones yeah. I've seen. Actually, yeah. this and Silence are probably his best looking. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'd probably agree with that. Um, that's what I would say. I, I, this to me is, is, uh, you know, I put, like I put on Goodfellas and that's a movie that I've really changed my opinion on. The first time I watched it, I was like, I did not get the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've since come to really kind of appreciate a lot of the really interesting stuff he's doing, especially the last half hour where Henry Hill is like absolutely out of his mind on cocaine mm-hmm. and the filmmaking style just completely changes for the last half hour because mm-hmm. Marty is like, he's like paranoid losing his mind. This is now what we're going to do with the camera and stuff. I mean, it's some brilliant choices, but you put on Goodfellas and you are like, let's go. The ride is here. Mm-hmm. And it, the irony, it feels like a roller coaster. Like, right. and, and he is, it's, it's that confident filmmaking we've talked a lot about um, of, of just a director leading you by the nose through, through what he's doing. Um, but Raging Bull is not the one that I'll put on as often as the others. Right, right. But like, it, it's a lot easier to put on The Departed. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, The Departed is the same way as The Goodfellas. It just starts and you go. Yeah. Um, but I, I, look at, I look at Raging Bull and this to me is so, there's so much more to think about. There's so much more to consider. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a richness in the theme. Yeah, that's, I think you're landing on it. Because, yeah, when I think about Departed, I think of great acting, mm-hmm. fun story, very entertaining, mm-hmm. fun to see, like, a bunch of people who are just top of their game doing yeah. what they do best. Um, but Raging Bull, I'm thinking about it after. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Uh, you know, and and he definitely plays with some interesting themes in The Departed um, about identity and, and that kind of thing. But... The, but Raging Bull, it's, it's all right there, and, it's, and it feels like it's a million miles deep, too. Yeah. It, it, it's very clear that this is a movie about one guy's you know, corrosive, angry core mm-hmm. and how, that, how he really just lets his rage, it's right there in the title, lead him through life, and mm-hmm. it is so destructive, and his own then seeking some sort of atonement or, or cleansing or, right. or redemption coming out the other end of it. Right. And it's, it's right there. That's what the story is. Right. But man, there's so much to think about and consider and scenes that are really just tough to watch. Right. And not, not the fights. <laughs> I know. I, the scene with him accusing his brother of sleeping with his wife, I was like, I am scared yeah. of Robert De Niro. Like, yeah. I'm like, thank God he got best actor for this because I'm <laughs> terrified right now. This is the most tense I've been the whole movie and half the movie is men beating each other you know, yeah. within an inch of their life. But like the, the stare that he gives him and oh. kind of, and the paranoia, like, I think, I don't know, not to just compare mm. it to his other work, but the paranoia works better for me on this than Taxi Driver. Like, yeah. uh, he does this thing where he'll just like, he'll get an inkling of an idea and you see his eyes kind of switch and he like in this case it's he thinks that his brother slept with his wife and it's pretty clear that that didn't happen yeah and he's like he thinks that she slept with all kinds of people 
Right, but like the the idea that is setting him off in this scene yes. is the idea of his brother doing this. And so he kind of asks him, like, did you do that? You know, and he's like, dude, you're crazy. He's like, yeah. did you do that? No, I'm going to ask you again. And it's like he's convincing himself, but yes. and he's convincing it just based off this whiff of an idea. Yeah. And it's like that is the paranoia that, like, runs through the entire movie. It's like that is a scary place to be Yeah. mentally. Yeah, I mean, and you see it in the Copa scenes early in the movie where they're at right. dinner and she literally i mean we see the whole exchange she goes over to say hello to this guy on the other side of the club and he says what took you so long and right. i just went over to say hi what were you doing over there and i mean he is out of his mind about he's, this he's looking for things to yeah. lose his mind over yes and that paranoia drives him in the ring mm-hmm. for, for better and for worse i think right uh because that 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 is just what drives and feeds his rage and his anger. I think that a crux of the movie is right at the beginning mm. when he's talking to his brother and it's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, and they're just at the breakfast table yeah. and you know, Oh, you cooked the steak. What are you doing? Yeah. I love, I love how Italian this movie is by the way. <laughs> he's like, Oh, he's <laughs> like, I'm almost 15 grand on this final. Oh, <laughs> I want to start saying oh for any like mild inconvenience at home. <laughs> Got to do the dishes. Oh, um, but that's a different one. But he's talking to his brother. It's early on. Yeah, and he's just like, and he's kind of vulnerable, which is rare in this movie, uh, or rare for him. And he's like, man, I got girl hands. He's like, oh yeah. What, what are you talking about? He's like, my hands, they're small. And, oh, and, and Joe Pesci says, I got him too. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> yeah, come on. What are we gonna do? Dude, Joe Pesci just throws down in this movie. By the way, it's funny. Growing up, my only context for him is Home Alone. <laughs> so I assume this guy is just like a, a goof, you know? Who uh, uh, uh. he's a cartoon character, living cartoon character, and then all of a sudden he's in these movies. I'm like, dude, this guy can act. <laughs> that he can. That he can. Um, but he's like, yeah, I got these girl hands. He's like, oh, come on, you're fine. He's like, no matter how uh, like good I am or talented or you know skilled, I I can't hit like some of these guys because I'm just not that yeah. you know. And I'm like, wow, like fr- like the mm-hmm. insecurity, yes, and, and the like jealousy and fear and paranoia of like all these other dudes are out, you know, either trying to get my wife or you know. whatever it is but just that feeling of like i'm not enough as is and that's gonna drive my and so my my x factor is the rage yeah but it's also the insecurity is fed by the nature of his profession because he is constantly trying to uh, keep himself in shape but also there's an issue of his weight like it's it's not just that oh robert de niro gained a lot of weight to play older jake lamada it's 60 pounds yes i read uh it's it's that Part of what's baked into the character is that he has to maintain a certain weight in his weight class and all of that. And, you know, there's there's the scenes early in the movie where he's talking about, oh, I can lose eight pounds. Don't worry. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But but he feels that pressure, that burden that he has to do that. And there's that scene of him in like in a, in a sauna with mm-hmm. his trainer and the guy won't even give it give him water. Um, right. Because he's got to get down. And then there's the scene later in the movie where he's gained a little bit of weight and Joe Pesci's kind of ribbing him about it. Like, I can't see the TV because your gut's hanging out. Right. But he's he's currently the champion. And, right. And right. so he told, for him, it's just that he's achieved it. He has that security. 
And so what has been part of part of the structure of his identity and his insecurity, mm-hmm. it, he can let that go a little bit because he is he is the top of everything. He's the champion. And that comment leads into their oh, relationship yeah. ending battle that's that's where that fight happens <laughs> wow and, that's a good point and, and so so i think all of these ties i don't want to say that that's you know directly the cause or whatever but i think it's all tied together um the the movie brings up lamada's weight as a hey this is this is another thing he has to keep control over mm-hmm. um and but he can't control his rage right like and in Retrospective probably is a reference when in Fight Club when he's like, mm. I think they almost use that exact line, right? Where he's, you know, I wanted to, or no, he's like, I wanted to destroy something beautiful mm. in Fight Club. But yeah. in Raging Bull, his wife, on kind of an offhand comment, said that the fighter was, you know, he's young, he's a good looking kid, but, yeah. uh, you know, you got this. He's like, what do you mean? Good looking. Yeah. Like, I mean, just like that, like, uh, you know, kind of crazy switch goes off in his brain. And the paranoia kicks in and just like floods until he breaks this man's nose and rearranges yeah. his face. And you know, that what's that character coach from from Cheers? What's his like role? He's like a mob boss, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a mob boss. Yeah, and you know, kind of fixing fights. But the comment of like, "Well, he ain't pretty no more." Uh, so again, just like kind of personal body image or mm, insecurity yeah. and the, the motivation of the fight was not to win but to make the other guy ugly revenge for this comment his wife said yeah. to, to like quiet the paranoia in his mind yeah yeah and again that goes back to what we we're saying earlier the outcome of the fight isn't what matters right it's the it's way the, that he engages in it his nose is hanging off that's yeah. what matters to him. yeah <laughs> yeah um To be crass. (laughs) Okay, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. What is the ending? Oh, him sitting in front of the mirror doing the the on-the-waterfront monologue? We'll we'll say that because there's a little bit of film history that would probably, um, you know, inform that viewing. Mm -hmm. But also the the verse. Oh, yeah, I love that. That kind of – I've forgotten that was there, that that – really caught me off guard yeah me too. um and like i thought it was a beautiful ending but i was also like kind of sitting with it you know yeah and, and it's interesting because when i when i look at the movie i i give this a, a kind of a reading that is really centered on um themes of redemption um but also of a guy really seeking cleansing and kind of atonement for his guilt, right? That's that's a lot of what Jake is seeking towards the end of the film. And right. from from the moment I I think where he's he's won the second, you know, he's defended the title once with the other French guy, right. but his brother's not still not speaking up to him. He has that great scene in the phone booth where he calls Joey, and then Joey picks up and he doesn't speak. He can't, mm-hmm. he can't bring himself to ask for forgiveness. And it's so interesting, right? Because it's in a phone booth, but you could also say, oh, it's a confessional booth, right? Right. <laughs> it, wow. It, it, yeah. So he's in the confessional booth, but he can't bring himself to give confessional. Right. And then it cuts straight from 
that to the last fight with Sugar Ray, where right. he has human to human sacrifice. He has to sacrifice himself, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and and that's the only way that he can externalize what he's feeling with his brother is this right. I I need to I need to not go down because he makes a point. I didn't I never went down. You never got me on the ground. But, right. I was gonna say it's it's somehow less vulnerable yes. to take that pummeling than it is to say, I'm sorry. Yes. Or I need to work on myself. And the way the way that Scorsese shoots this, oh, it's this is one of my favorite moments in the movie. I was to say this is probably my favorite shot. What you're about to explain. So it's it's uh, it, I, and it really goes from him in the phone booth to I think this shot because mm-hmm. the fight is almost over, and it's uh, Jake in the corner and he's with his coaches or whatever, and they take this the sponge. My favorite shot. It's this my sponge. favorite shot of the movie. Oh, do, do you want to describe it? I would say immediately to Sarah, I was like, this is <laughs> this is everything. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, obviously in boxing, your coaches are trying to clean you up in between yes. rounds. And um, so they've got the sponges on him, but the sponges are soaked in his blood. In his that, own blood. In his own blood from previous rounds. Yes. And so when they're wringing out these rags and sponges over him it you know the movie shot in black and white but the the water the liquid coming out of it is is dark and you can yes. tell it's blood yes and man i was like if this isn't christ on the cross <laughs> oh and it doesn't stop there though because right. it's 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 jake being washed in the blood mm-hmm. and then then the next shot is his coach like dabbing his forehead with right like vaseline or something right yeah, there's lo- there's two or there's there's three there's three it's it starts with his back yeah and like you see his head kind of and it's like pretty intense and then yeah. it's his chest it's and his, his chest and it kind of his side you know yeah. his stomach his it, side yes yeah and then the forehead and you're like okay well and it but it doesn't end there because <laughs> the last part of it is the the other trainer is then offering him something to his mouth like like communion in a Catholic mass, but it's his mouth guard. But it, or, or, it or the like vinegar that was well, offered yeah, to Jesus. Yes, yeah. uh, but but I think there. I think Scorsese's combining a lot of the imagery of the crucifixion with with part of the 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 ritual, especially for Catholic, of going through the communion is right. to reenact Christ's suffering right. and experience that cleansing anew. And so, you know, he is offered, he's, I mean, it, it, the way he frames it, and it's like the mouth guard does not even, the mouth guard looks more like a piece of bread than it does look like a mouth guard. Right. Because the next shot is Sugar Ray getting his mouth guard in and it looks like sleek and it's just like plastic or whatever it is and it goes yeah. right in. And then... And then it's basically Lamada with his arms outstretched on the rings or on the the, the ropes, waiting to receive his you his know. punishment. Yeah, this exactly. is the only way he knows how to do it, and and he gets you know basically destroyed by Sugar and Ray. There, and something about when Sugar Ray lifts his uh, fist up and yeah. like the way the camera goes with it, it does feel like the the you know the rage of God coming yes. down, striking man. Oh, the way he shoots it. I mean, it's it is a frightening exchange yeah. there. Sarah was saying that was her favorite shot was like the way Sugar Ray's lit, yeah, and then in contrast to uh, Jake and yeah. like how the much fog they pump in the room, yeah. And it's like why is there fog here? You know, but you don't really question it when you're watching yeah. it. You're like, oh, yeah. maybe cigar smoke or something, but it's like so dramatic, so yeah. intense. And you know, and then that fight ends with that shot of the blood dripping on the rope, like. <sighs> 
there was blood it is in finished. a shed. Yeah. Um, but the thing about the movie is, and and this, I'll, I'll connect it to that verse. Christ on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> a comedian I like uses that phrase. <laughs> Okay. That's just an exclamation, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, like, that's this very physical, external, atoning sacrifice scene. Mm-hmm. And then he still lives his life very poorly. Well, I mean, seconds after that punishment, and he, he's unrecognizable because his face is so swollen, his eyes, he can't open his eyes. Yeah. Because the Sugar Ray, he's like, hey, I never fell down. I never fell down. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I still, you know, am not going to go to that place of vulnerability of yeah. like, you know, kind of owning what's going on in my life and myself. It's yeah. It's like, wait, eh, eh, I'm still kind of justified. Yeah. And and so there's this still this pride here. And then he goes off to Miami and opens his terrible club, which I love that line. Oh, yeah. Guess what I'm going to call it? Guess what I'm going to call it? <laughs> Cut Jake to Lomatis. Jake Lomatis. <laughs> he, he's, he's like trying, trying to be a comedian he's now. He's trying to be a comedian, and it's a disaster. He gets arrested uh, like by the FBI because, because this 14-year-old girl is drinking and getting involved with men at his club. I mean, there is nothing redeeming about his life. Right. His wife finally leaves yeah. for real, takes the kids. Yes. And his he... belly's like hanging past his waistband. He's <laughs> aged not gracefully. I mean, he takes his his heavyweight championship belt and he's trying to pawn it off. He to takes get some it money. literally. He gets heavy in his weight. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, want to cut that. He takes the he takes the heavyweight belt and he's trying to pawn it off to make bail. Oh, right, when he's smashing it up. Yeah, I mean, he, he, this is, that's him in that jail cell to me. That's his real kind of reckoning, come to Jesus atonement moment. Right. Where he is receiving kind of the, the real weight of punishment for a life not lived well. Yeah. And, and he's just destroying himself, like smacking his head on that jail cell wall probably and, breaking his uh, knuckles yeah and then, and then so punching it over and over and over again it, it it reminds me of a great jail cell scene i just watched this week in the master with joaquin phoenix mm. smashing his head on a bed uh, a metal <sighs> bed it's crazy that but, character is crazy yeah uh but but i that's one of my favorite scenes is jake in the jail cell because it's like it's over it's done and then it's like this really quiet almost like that that's kind of like an ending mm-hmm. and then there's this little quiet epilogue where he's back to doing his stand-up but he's a lot nicer and yeah he just feels a lot more comfortable with himself and um you know and the final thing is him prepping for an evening with jake lamana where he's gonna read shakespeare and tennessee williams and <laughs> Uh, I could have been a cat tender. <laughs> uh, what is that from? That is from Deep Dive. You ready? Yeah, Cats and Dogs. Cats vs. Dogs. Cats, yeah, Cats vs. Dogs. Which was a movie that came out, I have to guess, 2000. Yeah, yeah. And the premise, you can guess from the title. And we somehow watched the special features or deleted scenes. <laughs> and it was the cat just doing famous movie quotes. It was a weird movie. You know, there was a time, though, where 
like every other kids movie like that had Robert De Niro quotes in it. Like because yeah. there there was like a, a, a some it was, movie It was like semi live action. Yeah. No, there was, was like, a there, there was another live action one where Robert De Niro was in it looking in a mirror and saying, uh, you talking to me?" Or, or no, he was like a villain. He was a villain. I think it like Rocky and Bullwinkle or something. Uh, he's a villain talking to somebody. He's like, you talking to me? Doing the taxi driver thing. But Feels like, like a toy, as a toy soldiers sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but in the like deleted scenes, he's doing all these lines. And one of them is, I could have been a cat tender. Because, <laughs> you know, cat uh, is. Yeah, Robert that, De Niro. He is in Rocky and Bullwinkle live action. So. There you Yikes. go. Yeah. Uh, the, the cultural impact of Scorsese and De Niro together, right? Uh, uh, cast I mean, a long it, shadow it on, on children's dogs. movies in the 90s. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, I think those last few scenes are meant to show he's really changed. That's, that's the way I read it. Mm. He, he has a real comfort with himself. You know, him practicing the contender speech in front of the mirror, it's just like, I, I don't see the insecure guy anymore, and I don't see the rage. Right. Previous Jake probably wouldn't even care uh, about. No, because previous Jake is going to go on stage drunk and make jokes about people in the room. Right. And to just say whatever he's going to say. He's not trying yeah. to appease anybody. or This guy wants to do the work, practice. You know, and then he gets up and he he does his shadow boxing in this little it's, dressing room. It's very human. Yeah, because it's not he's not overnight or over years. All of a sudden, a great guy. No, and things are working out now. No, but there's there's nothing nice and tidy about it. No, it's it, he changes like how people change in real life, which is very mildly slowly over time like sometimes like barely noticeable yeah and it takes a lot of work yeah yeah uh totally uh like it's not obvious no it it's like the physical parts of him are obvious that have changed <laughs> right um but but yeah i mean it's it's a fascinating scene cuz it's just a quieter jake yeah and even when you're talking about when he's in the jail cell, now that you mention mm-hmm. it, because um, there's that final shot where it's like half his arm is lit up. Yeah. But mostly it's shadow. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, this is striking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know there's something going on. But as we're talking about, I'm like, that kind of even feels like a confession booth. Where yeah. Then, yes, yes, yes. I totally yeah. agree. Well, and, and I forgot to. Not there fully is a scene in the light. After him in the jail cell, before the final scene where he tracks down his brother in New York mm. and all he wants to do is give him a hug right it, he does what he couldn't do before mm. and it's this vulnerable intimate like I just I just need to see my brother I just need to give him a hug right and and, and so that to me is like the real mark of a chains Jake because he had his brother on the phone years earlier couldn't say sorry right. and now he's tracked him down come on that was years ago yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's still Jake about it, but he says, I'm sorry. And he tries to give him a hug. I mean, he just pulls him in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's, there's a real transformation and 
And that's what I see that final verse that Scorsese points to is kind of alluding to, though I once was blind, but now I see. Right. It's, it's this person who is, is they had this encounter in the, in the story. It's a man who was born blind, encounters Jesus and is healed. And the Pharisees are upset because they, you know, Jesus is healing and they recognize that as the sign of him being the son of God. But they say, surely he is a sinner. They're trying to get the blind man, the now seeing man, to admit that this guy was a sinner. And the guy says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. What I know is I was blind, but now I see. And and that's that's kind of what I see in the in the Jake redemption arc of, right. uh, I don't know, hey, but this I is where I'm know. at now. Whole eyes knows I want a steak. Oh! <laughs> Just kidding. No, but what I love about Marty, because we're friends, is uh, kind of his interpretation, worldview on the sacred. Yeah. Because even in that verse, you know, you can't hear that verse without, you know, hearing the song yep. and the epic resolve and I was blind and that. And it's such yep. a mountaintop moment. Yep. And it's associated with like radical life change. Yes. The reality of most people's lives. Yeah. And even, you know, the context of what it sounds like the guy like obviously getting your sight back is a miracle but the the way it's handled is like hey you know i was here now i'm there that's all i know and it's like most stuff in life is like that there's not the mountaintop moment there's the slow trying to get your stuff together yes you know then it's painful and it's like yeah it's not as joyous and we did it you know. I, I mean, I think and it's so interesting he uses that story because there's other stories, there's other quotes from the Bible that more directly speak to, you know, atonement or resurrection or redemption. But it's just this odd story. And, you know, Jesus encounters the man and then it says that Jesus stoops down and spits in the mud and makes or spits in the dirt and makes mud with his saliva and puts it on the man's eyes and says, go wash in this pool and you'll be healed. And then the guy doesn't see Jesus. He he actually never sees Jesus because he goes away and he washes himself and he's healed. Mm. And then everybody is trying to take away his, the, the good news or the joy of his transformation, the Pharisees right. show up and they're like, who did this? This is not right. Blah, blah, blah. They're, I mean, and they, they basically bring him on trial. At one point in the story that, you know, all the people are like, he was born blind. This is the one who was born blind. The Pharisees bring in the guy's parents and say, is it true that this, and they say, uh, we're going to let our son speak for ourselves. His parents won't even help him out. Right. And, and I think, I think there's some parallels there to Jake's story. Like, he, you know, he has, he has this weird tension with the good things in his life. And then I think it's for him, it's the self-destructive thing mm-hmm. uh, of him finding success and then his own paranoia or his own insecurities or his own guilt won't allow him to just be content into it, in it, won't allow mm-hmm. him to get to that point of just saying, I don't know, but what I know is this, I was blind and now I see Right, where he's constantly looking for ways to destroy his own life, and I think the Jake we see at the end is a much more quiet, content Jake. Right, who his life is not what he hoped it would be, but it's not it's not nearly as bad as it was. At least he's maybe semi aware 
yes. of himself or yeah. getting getting there. He's yeah. just getting there. Yeah. Like we all are. Yeah. At the end of the day. Man, and it's it's so interesting because I think that last half hour is a really unique parable or allegory about even like the Christian experience. You know, Jake has this literal washing in the water and blood, mm-hmm. communion, baptism by fire or punching um, experience. Mm-hmm. And then his life is not changed. And that is, that's right. like, that's how, that's what it means to be a Christian. Right. That's why it's always so goofy to me when uh, churches do the like, all right, no one's looking. Raise your hands. No one's looking. But, oh, thank you. Right there. We got a hand. Oh, bless you. You know, we got a hand. It's like, dude, that person's going home and is their life is the exact same. Yes. In terms of what, like, their job they got to do, mm-hmm. their family issues that they're dealing with, their, you know, personal demons they're trying to exercise. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the hope of this is not that they rose their hand. It's like, hey, let's move towards love, you know? Yeah. But it, when it's framed up as like, oh, you just have that moment, then you're done. It's like eh, you and, have that and, moment, and then you're like, ah, eh, didn't fall over yet. <laughs> and you set people up to be disappointed or confused, right? Because it's like, oh, I had that moment, and my life still is this, right? What's wrong with me, right? And or even I, have to pretend like, oh yeah, now I'm, yeah, now I see, you know? yeah, and 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 I think a lot of the journey of the christian life is it's it's a it's a movement toward greater you know transformation and union with the lord um but that doesn't happen overnight and it takes time it takes work work that we do work that god does in us and i i mean i you know i i think there's a conversion moment and i think that's significant but you know after that there's a whole lot more that happens. And and I think I think what we witness is almost like this conversion moment for Jake. Right. And then his his sanctification happens later. Yeah, it's an interesting um like it, it's fun going through a director's catalog cuz you just see like refinement and yeah, can and you know a threaded needle of interests and I mean there's obvious stuff with Scorsese of like the actors he chooses and the types of stories he likes to tell but um, specifically going from Raging Bull let's fast forward to uh, Wolf of Wall Street and then immediately after Wolf of Wall Street it's silence like it's a, good, it's a complicated guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, where what Wolf of Wall Street is one of the most profane movies maybe Maybe the most profane movie he makes. I feel like easily. Easily. I haven't right? seen all of it, but I, I have to assume. Um, and, and if it's not, tell me which one, because I'm going to watch it tonight. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, to Silence, and, which is like kind of a, sticks out like a sore thumb in his catalog. But in Silence, I actually think he deals with a lot of the similar themes, but just kind of... Uh, literalizes a lot of it it's literally priests on a journey of you know redemption restoration atonement can you be forgiven Mm -hmm. for the sin that this culture and society and religion has said is unforgivable right the the apostasy 
And I forgot he does Last Temptation of Christ too with yes. Willem Dafoe, which a lot yes. of people, a lot of Christians have problems with. Yeah, which I've never seen. Neither have I, but I want to watch. I love, that's what I love about Marty is he's interested just in a lot of things and he comes at it with a very fair, like curious yeah. uh, perspective. Yeah, it, It's not at all uh, like he's not evangelizing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, it's interesting I because I was watching some just like clips and footage and other videos of Scorsese stuff this week. Um, you've seen The Irishman, right? Yes. I think about the end of The Irishman uh, with De Niro, old De Niro in the care home. <laughs> and he, like Frank, has like a series of meetings with um, a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. And there's a confessional of sorts. And it's weird because it, like he's like he confesses his sins and he's trying to you know get over it but there seems to be this uh standoffishness his arm's length you know uh, about it where frank is doing going through the ritual of confession Mm -hmm. but doesn't seem that remorseful like what i did was what i did that's the life we had to live kind of thing Mm -hmm. and oh and i also think some doubt as to whether or not he could even be forgiven for the life that he lived right and and there's kind of this just unsettled melancholy sadness at the end of the Irishman, which is the point of the movie, um, in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, it almost feels like he doesn't uh, feel anything anymore. Yeah, Frank. Even, at even the for, end of the Irishman. Yeah, even for yeah. what he did. Yes. And that's why it's yeah. like you can't be forgiven for something you, you don't feel anything towards. Yeah, and I think you compare that to a transformed. You know, obviously in in the Irishman they age De Niro up even more at the end, right. and here in the end of Raging Bull. It's a transformed De Niro, all the weight. It's the it's the 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 height of his weight, all the makeup on his face and the prosthetics. But there's a contentedness about him. There's a there's a, a recognition certainly of the past mistakes in that scene with with his brother, and they they reconcile. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's just a like I'm settled. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Who I am is okay. And I like. It's interesting to see that interplay between these two movies and these two De Niro characters. Yeah, they're definitely um, in conversation with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with Joe Pesci as his like right hand man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Loved it. Any, any I love closing, this movie. Yeah, I was gonna say any closing thoughts before the segments. No, I. I. Um, it's a good watch. I'm. I'm. Very happy that we and if I feel it felt timely again because of the Jake Paul fight, and that's the only <laughs> yes. reason. Yeah, it to me, this is one of those it's the quieter Scorsese, so it gets overlooked behind Goodfellas um, and Taxi Driver and Taxi Driver, um, in terms of Taxi Driver's kind of boldness and shock value. Um, the Joker of it all, yeah. You know, it's kind of... Man, the Joker just steals from Martin Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. Between Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. It's unbelievable. I know, I know. Um, People are like, this movie's so good. I'm like, yeah, because it was made already. You know, this is is one of those where I look back and I say, how does... How how is this not what Scorsese won Best Director for? What do you want for? He won it for The Departed. Um, 
how how did he not win Best Picture this year? Um, you know, yeah, Robert De Niro. The only Oscar this movie got was oh, it got editing, but it, and then Best Actor for De Niro. Um, but it it's just kind of this like, how does it not win for Best Cinematography? This this to me is like an ideal movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> right, right. Perfect combination of deep themes and wrestling with ideas and purely entertaining. Yeah. And, and, and then this perfect mix of actors, directors, and, and all the technical work is height of their, like at the height of their game. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, Scorsese getting with Paul Schrader to write it. Um, the guy who did, um, taxi driver, like it, it's this perfect marriage of so many things yeah to me it's like an ideal movie um not not one that i have a compulsion to watch over and over and over again because yeah i think like we've said it's it's not pleasant in a lot of ways right um but man i just it was over and i thought yeah no i love that i want to keep thinking about it yeah yeah. yeah. You have any closing thoughts? No, that's kind of where I'm at too, where I'm just, yeah. I, I have been thinking about it the past couple of days, not just the pod, but just some of the ideas are just hanging out, hanging out mm-hmm. with me. And some mm-hmm. of just like, yeah, kind of seeing even myself in this guy of like, man, that's what movies are so great at is amplifying maybe a seed of a feeling that you have. Yeah. And like, look at the terrible conclusion it can go to. Yeah. You man, know? I, boy. Sometimes I think, man, I got an anger problem. And then I watch a movie like this. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm doing all right. Or, you know, maybe I should work on this so it doesn't turn into this. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Love, right. Loved it. Love Marty. Yeah, let's get to uh, segments then. We got our segments going. First, what are you sipping on? I've got a cup of coffee. And I had... Um, Two breaks off of a Kit Kat bar. That's so funny. I hit a Twix today. I, and I never eat candy. Uh, and uh, I've got a glass of water. I've had some water and some iced coffee. This is, excuse me, a damn fine couple of segments. All right. So, yeah, I've already said my favorite shot. It's It was the two back-to-back of the blood-soaked sponges. Yeah. Preparing him for his self-sacrifice. Yes. Uh, yeah. We talked a ton about that. Love yeah. it. I love it was that. So shot. striking. So visceral. Kind of yeah. scary. And, and just like, hey, like to be able to turn a boxer into a martyr, I guess. Yeah. Like, all right, this is working. <laughs> <laughs> to do it in a way that doesn't betray the the reality of the story you're trying to tell right because any other character wouldn't make sense yeah or it wouldn't it it wouldn't be effective well you know but i think about the number of times i've seen a leading protagonist try to sacrifice themselves in a movie with his arms outstretched like in a jesus on a cross pose and we talked about that on this podcast with like the superman stuff and and i think it was effective in man of steel um but most of the time it's not effective right (laughs) And, but again, here it just feels natural. Like everything I watched in that scene could have just been done because it was a boxing scene. 
Right. Like if they told Scorsese afterwards, like, you know, that kind of had some, some yeah. crucifixion vibes. You're yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, very clearly that's what it is about. Right. Uh, it's so intentional, but I just love that it, everything there exists could exist just fine in and of itself. Yeah. Um, if you didn't yeah. know that story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my uh, favorite parts of it. Um, and then I, or favorite shots, but I'm going to say for me that my favorite shot is just that opening. Um, yeah. That's it's another. so otherworldly. It just sets you up for a different kind of boxing movie. Yes. In this really beautiful way. And um, and I love the way that he starts the movie with because because it goes from that to old Jake, old fat Jake in that club. Um, right. You get a, just a little bit of him in the club at the beginning. Yeah. And I love the juxtaposition of like this is Jake in the ring, top form, top physical condition. And it sets you up with that. And then the first real image you get of him is like overweight, old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, yeah, I love I love that as the opening statement of the film. So I just texted Matthew an image of um, a bull rider. But yeah. the cages that bulls are kept in before they're released to like go crazy. Or is that horizontal bars, like yeah. kind of a gate that opens up. But yes, it's speci- like, like you could say, oh, look, he's in a cage, you know. But specifically, it it looks like like a bullfighting yeah. yeah you know gate that opens up, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and then even the way he is fighting with his uh, robe on, you know, there's this yeah, like about uh, to about to go yeah. in. Yeah, and because he highlights the bars like in a unique way, mm-hmm. where they're really mm-hmm. popping off on screen. But yeah, it's it's a magical intro. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, uh, Letterbox. Letterbox. This is a five star. We both five star. Yeah. That's easy. Uh, And and it really holds up. It's a forty-one year old movie, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's probably my favorite De Niro that I've seen. Mm, Wow. Because, I mean, I like him, but the this one elicited a lot more like. Oh my gosh. This is This is this is the one to me where it's like you want to know why we talk about De Niro this way. Right, right. Go exactly. watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, cuz growing up you're like you just hear his name a lot and then yeah. you slowly see some stuff like meet yeah. the parents. <laughs> yes. Going to meet me. Meet the parents. <laughs> like Robert De Niro in my head is just Jimmy Fallon doing an impression of him. <laughs> Yeah, from Meet the Parents. I'm like, okay. I mean, him and those uh, analyze this, analyze this. Do you remember that those movies? It's like Billy Crystal is. Oh a, yeah, so, I didn't like, see him. But yeah, gonna you know meet that me. was the kind of stuff he was doing when we were growing up. Yeah, but there's a legend about him. Yeah, and and it's because of stuff like this, and and, and the Godfather two as well. But the Godfather two is such a different version of him. He speaks mostly Italian in that movie. He's very young. Um, this to me is like. This is what we talk about when we talk about the legend. And it's crazy this came out in 1980. It feels like a 60s movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and and that's what is so interesting about the style, too, filmmaking style and the the colors and the the black and white. Um, And the noise. Yeah, yes. I I, had that same feeling where I was like, man, 
there's a shagginess to the filmmaking where it feels like he's intentionally aging it yeah um to fit a period um and it you know the movie took place in the 50s 40s and 50s um what do we got unsung, unsung hero? hero yeah you got anything mm. unsung hero do you have one i'm going with uh jake lamata's nose <laughs> which really just goes on transformational journey along with him throughout the whole movie whether it's bandaged up just thick meaty fleshy when he's older it's quite a performance yeah love it love the love the nose um love the uh, nose oh uh, is it is it <laughs> um I'm going to give the unsung hero to the uh, fires that Scorsese built and put underneath mm. the cameras in one of the boxing matches. To get the heat wave. To get the literal heat waves in the lens, uh, because that's just a level of filmmaking that I think is a little psychotic, but uh, yeah. good on Marty. And I noticed it, and it had an effect. So It's, it's such a... Uh, like there's no way that's the solution to our problem of trying to get that effect. Exactly. <laughs> but okay. Exactly. Here we are. I love it. Uh, uh, all right. What else have you been watching? A couple other movies you've been, you've been seeing Mitchell. I think I only have one, which is twin peaks fire walk with me, which I had never seen. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it. And so we, we finished, Twin Peaks season two, which is pretty rough, except for the last episode and the first like three or four episodes. But then David Lynch walks away, and you definitely feel it, and it gets yeah. just brutal to watch. It doesn't. Yeah. It it gets truly bad TV. Yeah. Have you seen the new stuff though? That's the other thing. So we then we finish season two, watch Firewalk with me, and now we're on uh, the, the return. Yeah. And the return is much more terrifying oh, than great. cable allowed for with the original season. Well, the original was on ABC. I know this one's on Showtime and good yeah. Lord. Uh, so we're making our way through, but yeah, fire walk with me. Can't say I recommend it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't say I recommend it. If you like Dave Lynch, you'll like it. I, I liked it. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with though. Yeah. Not, not, not a fun movie to watch. Still good. Not fun. Right. <laughs> Firewalk with me. Not fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, any others? Uh, I think I th maybe, but yeah, I'll think of it later. Um, I, as I mentioned, I watched Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, a new Marvel movie today, and some of it really worked. There's a lot of martial arts stuff. They, you know, really drawing on just a whole rich history of martial arts filmmaking and cinema. And they do the kind of wire work fights and all that was like so fun and visually really clicked with me. Uh, there's a, there's a hand to hand sequence on a bus in San Francisco early in the movie. That is amazing. Mm, I've heard but, about this sequence. Yeah. Um, and Tony Leung is in it. He plays the the villain. He plays um, Shang Chi's dad, and he's like, he's he's probably one of the most famous actors in the world, but nobody here knows him because he mostly does Hong Kong Asian cinema. Mm. Um, did in the mood for love and Chungking Express with Wong Kar Wai. I mean, just amazing actor, and I love that he got to do an MCU movie. Um, so I like that stuff was very exciting to me. 
the climax of the movie is like CGI dragons fighting each other over a lake. <sighs> and I just, I just didn't care. I was so, I was just bored. Um, as, as much as I was enjoying a lot of the style and just, you know, it's the first Asian centered, all Asian cast, basically Marvel movie. And, uh, you know, that stuff, the stuff that comes from that was a lot of fun. I, I wish the climax had been like a martial arts fight instead of CGI dragons. <laughs> You're like, just like, this, yeah. this is easy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, and yeah, I watched a few others. I, I'll mention one. I watched Brick. Have you ever seen Brick, Mitchell? I have not. This is Ryan Johnson's first movie. He did Knives Out and uh, Looper. Um, and the the last Jedi did a Star Wars movie, so it's kind of this small, real independent, uh, low budget thing for him, and it's kind of this like hard boiled detective noir movie mm. that all takes place on a high school campus over a couple of days, mm. and Joseph Gordon Levitt's and he's young Joseph Gordon Levitt, and and it's like he's a detective and he's gonna solve this, and I mean and and the stakes are really high, like somebody actually gets murdered. Um, but it it was what I liked about it. And it, the movie is kind of weird and and doesn't I think hold up maybe as well as uh, other some other things. But uh, it's so extra in the way it's like a high school campus and these kids and there's you know a mob boss and a detective and it's drawing on all these noir tropes, right? But also a lot of the scenes in the high school and in the town feel like a high school that I recognize in a way that is not true of a lot of movie high schools. Right. Um, and so there was, a, there was this like kind of grounded in reality quality that it had that I was just like, this, this looks like this, this could have happened in my high school. This, this strip mall that they go to looks like from my hometown, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a cool early Ryan Johnson thing. Brick. It was streaming on criterion and their uh, neo-noir stuff. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, the last one that I remembered, it's not a movie, it's a show. I'm watching the five-part documentary series on the Comedy Store. Oh. Yeah. Which on, which Where are you watching sh- this? It's on Showtime, which yeah. just make a new email and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's it's only really good if you are, like, kind of really into comedy, comedy nerd. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. some good storytelling, but it's mainly just, like, a shotgun blast of, like, every comedian that's worked this club in the past yeah. Yeah. 40 that's years. That's cool. So That's fun. Yep. But cool. that is it for segments. So, uh, Mitchell, tell us, what are we going to watch next week? Um, you know, we're not a big fan of numbers on this podcast, so <laughs> we're choosing a movie that will get very few clicks. <laughs> no. Uh, as we know, Shang-Chi came out this past week. Breaking uh, kind of, Labor Day box office records. There you go. And in the age of COVID, no I less. I know. I know. And, um, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention it and talk about it a little bit on the pod. I will not be seeing this movie. You did see this movie. Uh, we cannot devote a full episode to it, though, unfortunately. Just not on brand for me specifically. Of course. But it is inspiring because for me, my favorite parts of Shang-Chi, which we'll talk about, are the 
just the kind of martial arts stuff, the, the, the stuff that draws from this rich history of Asian Hong Kong cinema and specifically that kind of martial arts thing. Uh, so we thought we would go back and take a look at a kind of, would you say, modern or recent classic of the genre of martial arts filmmaking? Yeah, and part of what I think we do on the pod or like to do on the pod mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, you, you I could talk about movies I don't like all day, but that's not that fun to listen to. Yeah. So we'd, we'd rather be curators and want to pass on movies that we love. And so if you're interested or enjoy Shang-Chi... We also want to point you in the direction of this movie that we're going to talk about next week, which is, I think, 2002. 2002's Hero. Hero. Uh, it's a Chinese language, Mandarin language, a martial arts film. Uh, one of the stars is, is Jet Li and then Tony Leung, who is in Shang-Chi, actually. Uh, so it kind of connects in that way. Um, and it's streaming right now on HBO Max. Yes, and it's... I've only seen it once as like a middle schooler, so randomly I, I asked mom to rent it for me, and uh, I was confused, and it was slow, but it was also striking, and one of the most, still to this day, one of the most beautiful movies mm-hmm. I've ever seen, and I can re- remember thinking that as a middle schooler, so. And I've never um, seen very, it. You've never seen it. I'm stoked to revisit it, yeah. and we think it's a great uh, wreck if you enjoyed Shang-Chi, and maybe or, want or something. Or just if you enjoy good movie making. Right, right. And yeah. if you're wanting something a little deeper in that genre. Yes, so next week we'll be watching Hero. We were going to try and watch a movie that is uh, debuting this week in theaters, but uh, it's not playing at a theater near one of us. So Take a guess, <laughs> Ready? <laughs> uh, but so. I'm excited about Hero. This gives me a reason to watch a movie that uh, I have not checked out over the last almost 20 years, so I'm excited for that. And uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep. And we'll share favorite shots from Raging Bull and all of that good stuff. Uh, keep up with the pod. We love just love just hearing how you're engaging with these conversations. We've we heard some really cool feedback this week from a, a new listener. Um, so just excited about that. You can uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, otherwise, you got anything else, Mitchell? Oh, and be on the lookout for our October horror extravaganza yes. with the returning Jared Hogan. Yes, he has a he has a list he's curating, and it is intimidating. But we're here for it. Uh, yeah, intimidating is exactly the right word for all of the reasons. <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> but all right, y'all. We'll see you next week. Good night, y'all. Bye. That's a little baby move. Oh, I'm sad.